This is an Alexandrian Media original podcast. Hey friends, The Composer Chronicles is entering its second Halloween season, and this October is all about the spooky, the scary, and the strange. First up in this month is a bonus episode of Movie Night, a mini-series within the podcast where I invite friends to pick a movie, series of movies, or a television show and talk about its music. For Real 5, I am joined by author, booktuber, and horror genre enthusiast Cameron Chaney to talk about the score to the film Trick or Treat. This is The Composer Chronicles, a storytelling podcast about music through the ages. I'm Stephen Trigar, and this is episode number 70, Movie Night, Real 5, Trick or Treat with Cameron Chaney. Hello, Cameron. How are you today? Hey, hey, Stephen. I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Of course. Uh, today we're going to be talking about the music uh, of the film Trick or Treat. Yes, yes. One of my very, very favorite movies of all time. <laughs> <laughs> Good. I, I enjoyed watching this film. I don't typically watch horror films. I, I don't watch films very much in general, although at this point... Uh, I should stop saying that because I watch a lot of films for this podcast now. <laughs> so I should stop saying that I don't watch a whole lot of films. You are you are now a film buff. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I really did enjoy watching this movie. I wasn't, I went into it not expecting anything. I just went into it thinking, okay, I'm here to focus on the music and how it relates to the story. So um, but before we get there, uh, I want to hear uh, about you. Tell us about yourself. All right, well, my name is Cameron Chaney. I'm an author. I wrote the book Autumn Crow, which actually was very well inspired by a lot of the themes of Trick or Treat, of, of being a kid and going out on Halloween and collecting candy and all of those nostalgic Halloween feelings that I had from, from my youth. So I tried to just pour all of that into my book Autumn Crow. I have a new book coming out later on this year called Autumn Crow High. And this will be a series of books, uh, very much in theme of like uh, books that I used to read when I was a kid, like Fear Street and those young adult horror books of the 90s. So 
yeah, I have that coming out later this year. I also have a YouTube channel called Library Macabre, where I'll talk about horror books, uh, a little bit about horror movies, but the, the the majority of my focus is on horror books, both old and new. It's a kind of a passion of mine and just uh, general all things spooky over on my channel. Awesome. Yeah, I have subscribed to your channel and I've enjoyed watching it. I don't. I, I've definitely gotten back into into reading, and I want to read some more horror books. And because of uh, uh, the both of us recently being on uh, Justin Can Reads the Listener, um, I think I really want to start with uh, with the Fear Street books uh, because I, I really enjoyed doing that. Which oddly enough, uh, you played my son in <laughs> right. in in that that podcast although we were on the same episode but uh still in terms of the story mm -hmm. uh which i which is funny but uh yeah yeah i'm excited to get into that those series yeah yeah that that podcast was a blast i mean dustin did such a great job on it and uh you did the you did the music am i correct no i didn't oh i i put dustin in touch with the composer gotcha uh, gotcha but didn't I didn't do the music? I did the uh, the voice of the um, uh, of my dad. Yeah, <laughs> the, the town historian. <laughs> right, right. No, that was that was yeah. such a blast being on that thing, and uh, it was funny recording my lines. Like I, uh, I had such a, a good time with it. Like that day when I was about to record my lines, I I had a, like a mm -hmm. there was a, a wasp's nest in my shed, and I had like this battle oh, no. with a whole bunch of wasps. And then I like looked at the time, and I'm like, crap. I have that podcast I got to do. So I like ran for the house, all these wasps behind me. And, uh, and I got on the, right away and I had to record all of my lines. So I was already like kind of flustered and, and I don't know, kind of like nervous mm -hmm. and just like anxious. So it all kind of like played into my performance. And I think Dustin and everybody mm -hmm. there thought that I, that was all like my intention, but really I was just like <laughs> totally flustered. So it worked <laughs> out in the end. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was great. Yeah. It was, uh, I did not expect that turn to, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but, uh, oops, I died, I guess. <laughs> I guess so. And I'm the one who killed you. So, <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> so let's talk about <laughs> trick or treat today. So you talked a little bit about your connection with the movie already, but what is your relationship with the music specifically? So with the music, like I'm going to be, completely honest like i'm i'm not a musician i'm not a composer i'm not a professional when it comes to music in any way i love music i love listening to music and i think that in movies and particularly in horror films music is so so important it, it you know it enhances the atmosphere like one of my favorite movies of all time is of course the original halloween <laughs> which is cl classic film and I remember, you know, hearing John Carpenter talk about that film and how before he had come up with that infamous score, it was uh, free of music. And they, they they watched it without music and they're like, this just isn't scary. And then he came up with that score and it just totally transformed the movie and mm. created it to be what it is. You know, that's what gives the movie its edge. So it's obviously like such an important thing music is. Right. And when it comes to... The music for Trick or Treat. I wrote the majority of of Autumn Crow, my book, while listening to the record, which I actually have back here behind me. <laughs> I don't, I don't own a whole lot of, of vinyl records, but I have Trick or Treat, and I listen to that thing all the time because 
just the atmosphere. It just totally makes me feel like a kid at Halloween again. Yeah. And I think that's what one of the things I love most about the movie is, is the music. I just think it's a really rich score. Yeah. Yeah. I listening to it, I was like, wow, this is kind of childish in a way. Uh, Mm -hmm. Not that the composer is a child, but uh, yeah, uh, or childish of of writing it. But the the atmosphere was very childish, especially with the, uh, the play on uh, the, uh, trick or treat, smell my feet, whatever. And that, that melody yeah. was playing constantly throughout mm-hmm. the movie. Um, mm-hmm. But I actually listened to the score before I went and watched the film uh, only because I wanted to be able to watch the film knowing what I was going to be listening for. And because I don't watch a whole lot of horror films or listen to soundtracks of horror films a lot, I was actually really surprised how the music so well portrays things like jump scares. I I didn't realize how, how much the music impacted the things like jump scares until you just sitting there and listening to the music and all of a sudden the music gets soft and then you get loud, interruptions a lot of big bangs um and if just i was watching the movie and at times i would just kind of turn it down just to see how well i would be able to watch it and i know that this movie doesn't have a whole lot of jump scares in them but watching it and noticing that things like jump scares were not as impactful without the music and i think that's right. a really important thing when when writing the, the, the film scores is knowing exactly what's going to happen and that takes a, a lot of patience and a, and a lot of uh, a lot of hard work yeah yeah totally and the thing with jump scares is that they're, they're often known to be pretty cheap you know they're they're uh they're an easy way to get a yeah. reaction out of your audience and they don't really take a lot of effort but what i think is really cool about the few jump scares in trick-or-treat is that it, it? it is within the score. Like you can be listening to the score and that is there because it's part of the music and it, 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 it stands off on its own. You know, it doesn't have to, to have yeah. the movie to make you jump, you know, still, even when I'm sitting here writing right. and I have it playing right behind me, I'm like, Oh, <laughs> it works. It still works. <laughs> yeah. I think it's what gives it its playful energy. Like you said, it's very childish. It's also like very playful and, you know, kids liking to, to scare each other and jump out. It's like a boom. Right. Moment. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, I listened to the score a lot in my car on the way to work. And sometimes I was, we'd be sitting in traffic and I'd be like, okay, I can't, I got to turn this off. I got to, <laughs> this, this is adding to my stress level of, uh, of traveling into work. So <laughs> mm-hmm. it, it was an intense score. And although I, I, thoroughly thoroughly enjoyed that music it was really really good uh and i do highly recommend listening to that score if you get the chance <laughs> anybody listening to this well, well good good i'm glad you liked it i uh i'm i'm glad i'm assuming that you liked the movie i did okay. yeah i uh it's, it's funny I, I went out i finished watching the movie and i went out and t- talked to my fiance and i said honestly I had to sit and, and think about how I feel about this movie. And the more I sat and I, and I thought about it, I was like, okay, I think I actually 
do like the movie because <laughs> I, I it was for me it was hard to get around uh the anthology aspect of it uh and i i had a hard time following the line uh where where they were in the timeline of things uh but overall i i think after sitting t- taking a whole day after watching the movie i i think that i appreciate it a whole lot more Good. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad I didn't recommend a, a crappy movie to you. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> you know, I, I try to be uh, as open minded as I possibly can when it comes to uh, when it comes to, to watching movies or, or listening to new musics or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, I'm sure that if it was even a crappy movie, at least I knew that the music was going to be good going into it. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, it's, it's been one of my favorites since it came out and it's funny the, when the movie was made, it was shelved by Warner brothers for the longest time because they didn't know what to do with it. Mostly because of the anthology aspect, they didn't think it would really appeal to anybody apparently, but okay. I feel like the movie really comes full circle and it kind of feels like its own, like, big movie, even with all of the stories, because obviously it takes place in a single town and you have the, the, the overlapping characters, which is very much how uh, my book Autumn Crow is because it's a, it's a book of short stories, but they all kind of overlap and the characters connect. And I, I like that obviously. So, and I feel like the, the music definitely kind of ties all yeah. of those stories together. And then you have that, that random Marilyn Manson song in there. <laughs> <laughs> but then but then you go back to that that softer you know orchestra music <laughs> yeah i i think i i did i think if you can correct me if i'm wrong only because i i'm still uh still processing it all and i only really watched him film once uh it felt like when you were at a different part of the story and somebody else's uh one part of the story or uh revolving around certain characters the music did at times reflect what, where you were in, in that story, who, which characters were being portrayed and uh, who was on the, on the screen and who was in that scene. Uh, do you feel like that was something that happened throughout the film? Absolutely. Yeah. I think, I think it's, it's really helpful to have that because you are following so many different characters. I feel like the score reflects the characters. Like um, there's Anna Paquin's character, who you're following her. She's like the, uh, the little red riding hood character. Mm. Of course you find out later on, it's not so much the case. Um, but I feel like every time she was in her scene, the, 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 the music kind of reflected, um, you know, everything that she's personally dealing with on that night. And then there is, um, you know, the, the, the kid characters, which I feel like the music for those scenes really reflects the, um, the one character, I forget her name. It's, um, the girl with the glasses, I think her name is like Darla or something like that. Rhonda. I feel like the the Rhonda. Yes. Yes. Rhonda. I love her. She's my favorite. Uh, <laughs> but I feel like <laughs> I love her sections of the, of the score because they definitely, they seem to kind of like reflect that, that kind of uh, innocence, naivete kind of thing. Um, really reminds me of actually the Halloween score where you have uh, Laurie Strode's theme that keeps recurring throughout. And it, it kind of just reminds me of that. Yeah, absolutely. I think there, there is even a track named meet Rhonda or something like that, uh, where you can clearly tell, <laughs> okay, this is going to be about this particular character. And I think a lot of the track titles do 
specifically mention like specific characters and uh, and who it's related to. Uh, I am drawing a blank, but I think there's one even titled something to mm-hmm. do with Sam, the character, uh, the little creepy boy that uh, is somehow yes. intertwined in all the, <laughs> in all of the characters. The only thing I think I still don't understand about that movie is what the uh the i can't remember the name of him now but the old guy and why sam is trying to kill him yeah the the old the old man who um i forget what his character's name is in the movie brian cox the actor plays him right uh, you know that's his name in real life that's all i can remember about uh when it comes to names but yeah sam i think uh the um the point of Sam is that he is this embodiment of, of Halloween or Samhain. Mm-hmm. He is a, a trick or treater. Um, and he is kind of, but he's not really a trick or treater. This guy's a little monster and he is there <laughs> to kind of just embody the spirit of Halloween and make sure that all of the characters are doing what they're supposed to do on Halloween, which is keeping the pumpkin lit. Don't blow out the jack-o'-lantern after Halloween's over. Always check your candy. Always make sure you're giving out candy. Otherwise, you're going to get tricked. And I think that was um, Sam's idea there is that Mm. he is there to get a treat from this old man. The old man does not give it to him because he's a bit of a Scrooge. Mm. And then Sam's like, all right, I'll I'll play a trick. And then, of course, you know, at the end of the movie, uh, things work out in the old man's favor kind of by accident. And Sam gets his treat and walks away. There, yeah, that that explains it. I was like, okay, so why mm-hmm. he, he stabbed this lollipop knife into or trying to stab him, uh, but he stabs it mm-hmm. on on a candy bar. So what was it in that moment that made him stop? And I guess now that you explained it, I I get it. He he's the guy was accidentally yeah. accidentally gave him candy. Uh, <laughs> so right. yeah. I, uh, Sam just wanted his candy. Yeah. Just, just wants candy. <laughs> Who doesn't? <laughs> I want to say, I, I don't think I fully understood a lot of that old man characters. I mean, in the end, I guess you find out that he was the, the guy who was the bus driver and he, and he murdered these kids. I think if you can explain it, was he, hired by the parents of these kids to to murder them or did he just have enough with with this job that he had he he was technically i guess you could say commissioned by the parents um which is very sad (laughs) to think about um to basically i think the the candy that he's handing out to them on the bus is poisoned i'm i'm supposing um Uh, and obviously the children know that something's up and that's yeah. why they end up being the ones to crash crash the bus. Um, mm. And so he, of course, got away just barely. And that's one thing I love about the uh, the very last shot of the movie is him getting his comeuppance. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, the dead kids walking up to his <laughs> to his doorstep asking for candy <laughs> or are they asking for candy or are they just, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> they say trick or treat. Uh, and uh, obviously they, uh, they uh, get a little stabby stabby with them. I'm guessing. <laughs> yeah. And speaking of that, that line, it was really, uh, I did not expect it, 
uh, it was very interesting to see uh, Baby Daddy up there as a young kid acting in a horror film. <laughs> uh, what's his name? Um, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, I kind of forgot that that was him. Yeah. <laughs> it took me a minute to realize, okay, I, why do I recognize yeah. this guy? So I was scrolling through, and oh, that's that's him. And uh, scroll down, Baby Daddy. Oh, okay. Because I'm I'm so used to seeing him in comedic characters, and to see him in a more serious childlike role mm-hmm. was was a little bit uh, <laughs> a little bit jarring at first sight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's pretty weird. Um, I guess I I saw this before Baby Daddy ever came out, so yeah. I uh, I don't know. I guess I never linked that it was him, that it was the same guy. Yeah, he was just so much younger in Trick or Treat that I just I never assumed that was the same person. Yeah, <laughs> obviously he was uh, much younger uh, in that one. I think his baby daddy came out like like what is twenty seventeen or something along those lines, and this was two thousand seven. So ten mm-hmm. years had passed from mm-hmm. from Trick or Treat all the way up to to Baby Daddy. But uh, yeah, I I I thought it was so sad right. that he was this character that was trying to be nice to to Rhonda and. Eventually, even in the end, the the tricks just got to her, and he's even left behind because he was associated with that group. Right, right, and I think it's it has to do with the whole like um, even if you're 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 a bystander and you're you're watching something happen, like you're witnessing something, but you're not actually doing anything to stop it. That still makes you guilty, and I think Rhonda saw that. She's like, you know what. <laughs> I'm just going to leave you guys here. Yeah. <laughs> what does uh, that particular storyline have anything to do with following the rules of Halloween or was it just kind of its own little separate story where these kids just happen to be in the path of zombie children? <laughs> I think that portion of, I think that particular story has more to do with respecting the dead on, on Halloween, you know, Halloween is oh. so much about, uh, respecting your 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 dead ancestors and to use these these dead kids as a prank mm. uh, to be mean to an innocent girl, uh, I feel like that's was bad juju for them. <laughs> mm. Yeah. So uh, I think yeah that story has a lot more to do just about you know respecting the dead and not using them for your own uh, evil intentions. Right. Because I, I I thought it was pretty much separate until I saw Rhonda run into Sam after she comes up from the elevator and she's by herself holding the, the jack-o'-lantern. And I was like, oh, wait, does Sam have something to do with this? Or was this just something entirely on the side? I, I think he did. I think his, his influence is kind of present all throughout Halloween, even if he's not totally like there on the scene. I think he is this embodiment of Halloween. So maybe he doesn't actually have to be there. Like he's just like there over the town. Right. Right. Absolutely. Like you said, he's the embodiment of Halloween or Samhain or however, and whatever that Mm -hmm. entails, you should be respectful of the, the rules or the traditions of Halloween. So if you are not doing that, Mm -hmm. then he is always somehow there to make sure that you continue to, (laughs) <laughs> uh, to be in line, if you want to say that. 
And it's really interesting. I know uh, the director, Michael Doherty, he would really like to do a sequel at some point. He's been wanting to do one for, for many, many years. So it would be cool to to see uh, little Sam come back. Of course, it would have to be played by a different kid, though I don't think that really matters <laughs> since you don't really see his face. Um, but yeah, that's, that's, that's like my wish in life is just to see Sam wreaking havoc again. <laughs> One of your favorite musical moments in the movie or even on the soundtrack it's just itself the soundtrack just itself i listen to the the closing credits like all the time uh <laughs> you know the 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 opening credits and the the ending credits are very similar like you'd almost guess that they were the exact same thing just repeated but really if you listen to the end credits they're a whole lot more I don't know, more impactful. They're a little, a little more fast. And there, there are some moments throughout that are not in the opening credits. And I just feel like the ending credits uh, are just, I don't know, they're so epic and they just totally embody that, that spirit of Halloween that I love so much. And they also kind of reflect, I don't know, they, they reflect the meanness kind of of the movie because you, you have that, that childlike innocence throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. It's, it, there are some softer moments, but overall the movie is kind of mean. It's very mean spirited in a lot of ways. And I feel like the ending credits really just like dig into that. Yeah. I, I guess I'm going to have to go back and listen to the ending credits uh, only because I think that I would get to the point where I was like, Oh, okay. This is basically just the same as the uh, intro credits. So let's just let's move past this. <laughs> and I, I, so I'm gonna have to go back and listen to that and and see how uh, and see how how much that how much different it actually is. Mm-hmm. Just to see, and and especially now that I have watched a movie, I'm gonna have to go back and listen to see how much uh, I can envision on top of on top of the score now mm-hmm. yeah the the ending credits are like a better version of the opening credits <laughs> <laughs> i think what really also added to a whole extra level of creep for me was the addition of the uh the child voices in both of them uh where you have the uh the little kids just going ah <laughs> and uh like I was like, oh, this, this is, uh, this is why it's, it's like, it feels like it's for, for kids, mm-hmm. but uh, it's really not. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's, that's another one of my favorite parts. I love, I love vocalizing kids' voices in horror films. That's one reason why I love the score for mm-hmm. like the, the Omen and in movies like that. Uh, Children of the Corn, uh, Children of the Corn is like, 
a masterpiece of trash. It's a trashter piece, I guess. <laughs> but that score <laughs> is so, it is so good. It, it just totally creeps me out every time. And I'm from Ohio, so I am surrounded by cornfields all the time. And every time I'm like driving <laughs> by a cornfield or walking by a cornfield, every day of my life, I have that song playing in the back of my head. <laughs> that could be a whole other episode. But um, yeah, I really love the the children's voices in trick or treat the, the ah yeah that thing is that's so good it's so good <laughs> yeah absolutely i like i think i said i really thought it was quite clever to add the trick or treat melody into the weave it into the score throughout the whole entire thing uh because it mm. didn't let you forget this is about trick or treating uh mm -hmm. whether you're an adult or if you're a kid uh you should always have it in the back of your mind on halloween halloween is about trick-or-treating in some way mm -hmm. yes yes yeah it uh like i said reminds me of being a kid you know yeah <laughs> standing outside my neighbor's doors singing that song <laughs> that was me <laughs> yep i vaguely remember when i was a kid i actually stopped trick-or-treating uh, when I was kind of kind of young, I had to stop and and help my grandmother uh, do all of the candy handing out, and while my uh, my mom went and and took my other siblings around. But I do remember uh, one particular house that reminded me when I saw the uh, the first house of the first two characters. I was like, wow, that really reminds me of this one particular house near my grandmother's house that would just go as gory as possible in <laughs> and they had a big long front lawn and so you would have to walk through all of this and i think i remember one year there was actually somebody who was in the front lawn behind something and would jump out and scare uh and i was like oh memories of halloween specifically that one house <laughs> oh man yeah, I have I have so many memories because my when I was really really young, that was my house. My my dad and my mom would often do a big elaborate display and my dad, he's this big hairy guy, so he like grew out <laughs> all of his hair and he put in these fake fangs and they made up his face like a werewolf, put on this like uh this like um uh flannel shirt with the sleeves cut off and he would chase the kids around the neighborhood as this werewolf and I swear those kids genuinely thought he was a real werewolf because it looked real. It was pretty convincing. <laughs> and um, there was another year, like my mom dressed up as, as this hunchback and would like be dragging her feet and chasing kids down, down the street. It was fantastic. <laughs> wow. It was really mean. It was very mean, but it was also really great at the same time. So yeah, that was, that was my house. It was fully decked out all the time. And it's a shame because I don't really see stuff like that so much these days. I'll, I'll walk around my neighborhood and hardly anybody ever decorates anymore, which is a shame. But uh, yeah, I always think back yeah. to those days when, when we would decorate the whole front yard and chase kids around. A lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, we didn't. We lived in an area that was quite secluded from, from everywhere else. We would have at most two people come to visit our house every Halloween. Mm -hmm. It was always the same two families. And uh, it, it was just because you have to, you had to walk down a very long hill, uh, basically a quarter of the mile 
and it was so there was nobody really around. We lived out in the middle of the woods, so who's gonna who's gonna come and visit you? So that's why we would always travel to my grandmother's house to uh, to go trick or treating. Um, and yeah, we never we never really decorated. So it's a good thing that uh, this world in this movie doesn't exist because uh, our family would have been dead a long time ago. <laughs> I would have braved it. <laughs> if this world actually existed, I'd be like, oh, I'll still go. I'll give it a try. Uh, I might be able to make it through the night. We'll see. I'll follow the rules of Halloween. <laughs> uh, I think one thing that's that's so great about it is that is that the the director Michael Doherty is from Ohio. Uh, he gr he grew up very very mm. close to where I live, and I think he he gets the idea of small town Midwest Halloween. And I think the um, I think he really based it off of Athens, Ohio, which has a big Halloween party every year. So I do sometimes mm. go to Athens. And it is pretty similar in a lot of ways to the movie. So uh, it's, it's not quite as dangerous, I don't think, as, uh, as trick or treat. But uh, it's, it's, I think, the closest you can get to actually being in the movie. Besides the ending credits, do you have any other favorite musical moments or even moments where in the film you felt that the music was particularly impactful? I feel like the... Um the i think it's titled the neighborhood if i'm not mistaken it's very soft it's very it, it's actually like comes just before the ending credits so it's kind of i think in that moment in the movie you're following around all of the different characters you're seeing how their night is ending up so you have uh, of course anna paquin and, and her her crew are have just uh finished finished their feast and uh, they're driving around the neighborhood you have Rhonda walking around with her um with her wheelbarrow and you have Sam, you know, uh, finally coming back around to where he's at at the beginning of the movie. So you just have this very kind of like soft, almost melancholic uh, kind of sounding segment, even though it still has that kind of like childishness about it. And I don't know, there's just something kind of pretty sounding about it ironically enough. Yeah, I agree. I think I really enjoyed that part of the film musically as well. It was quite reflective and you're you're kind of going on the journey of these these characters for the one final time and you know what mm -hmm. all of them have gone through at this point including what's about to happen next uh with uh these final two characters uh and mm -hmm. I, I I think that adds another layer of like, oh, you you know that something bad is still about to happen, but you can't help but uh, feel a little bit uh, reflective about all of it. So I mm -hmm. I agree. I think it's uh, it's quite a, a powerful part of the the score in that in that particular moment. Yeah, t totally agreed. I I actually will go for walks in my neighborhood around Halloween time, and I'll listen to that. And I don't know it almost makes me feel like I'm just walking around in the movie. <laughs> I'll have to go and listen to it on Halloween. During Halloween, I will be in my new apartment. So uh, it'll be a much uh, different, ex much more different experience. And I'll be in a more suburban type area where I'm sure that more Halloween type things will uh, will be up and, and running and more people will be trick-or-treating. And uh, so <laughs> I think it's uh, it's going to be a great experience 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes it a lot more fun when you can actually go out and you can see the decorations and you can see the kids trick-or-treating. And um, I don't know, I, I revisit this movie every year. I watch it sometimes twice a year. And I hope like maybe, maybe eventually this will become a tradition for you. I think it's like the ultimate <laughs> Halloween movie. Nothing fails to put me in the Halloween spirit than, you know, watching this movie. Like this is what always does it for me. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, and uh, I got home yesterday after work and I was like, okay, it's time for me to sit down and, and watch this movie. Uh, and I went into uh my bedroom because we have a really really small apartment uh and i went to the bedroom just to watch it uh and i come out i go get a drink of water and my fiance says what 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 are you doing in the bedroom and i'm like i'm walking i'm watching trick-or-treat and he's like what why are you watching trick-or-treat <laughs> it's not even halloween yet <laughs> uh <laughs> and i was like let me i've got to watch it for an episode tomorrow but uh <laughs> he's like you should have told me you were watching it we could have watched it together and i'm like okay well now we'll have to watch it together you should <laughs> he said I, I really wanted to watch your expressions while watching this movie uh to see how confused you were going to get uh and how much you were going to be scared by this whole thing because he knows that i don't watch horror films um specifically because i don't like jump scares and i can't i can't do it but uh i had a feeling that after listening to the music and knowing that there were going to be jump scares in it uh i think it kind of eased my mind a little bit but he was he, we have to go back and we have to watch it anyway so maybe we'll hold it off until halloween so that uh it becomes that tradition there you go there you go get a bucket full of candy go go buy like some <laughs> halloween cupcakes or something and just binge on sweets and watch trick-or-treat Maybe carve a pumpkin before you watch it. That's what I do. <laughs> I make a big old tradition of it. It's yeah. so much fun. It is so much fun. <laughs> just not a kid's head. You don't want to carve a kid's head. No. You just gotta you gotta <laughs> gotta do real pumpkin carving. Real pumpkin. Which was I actually before I watched the movie, I I read a little bit of the synopsis to get myself ready. Um and the synopsis had said something along the lines of that the that um, Mr. Wilkins's son was curious about the head and whether or not he should carve this head because he didn't know if it was a pumpkin or not. But when I watched the movie, I was like, no, he doesn't question anything. He is clearly in on carving this kid's head. Uh, he he knows he's fully aware. Which uh, when I <laughs> When I watched it, I was like, "This, that, oh, that's that's creepy." This kid it knows that his dad murdered and is had decapitated somebody just to carve a quote unquote pumpkin. Yeah, no, this kid is already fully on his way to becoming a full on psycho killer, just like his dad, following in the family business. <laughs> <laughs> Which. He gets his comeuppance as well. He, he uh, does, which is one of my favorite moments in the movie. Yeah, I did not expect that coming from this movie. I was I was full on ready for the only thing that was going to be supernatural was going to be Sam. But uh, then, of course, you get the uh, 
them all out in the middle of the woods and they're all werewolves. Mm-hmm. At first I actually thought they were witches. Um, but then they they transform into werewolves and I was like, oh okay, never mind. <laughs> it surprised me too when I first watched it and I'm like, I'm a seasoned horror fan, like I've seen everything. <laughs> but I was watching that and and even as it's all happening, I'm like, what's going on? Like are who who are they? Are they like vampires or something? Like what and they start like even when they start like doing like the strip tease i'm like what's actually happening here and then they start pulling off the skin i'm like yes yeah this is awesome <laughs> <laughs> yeah i i actually thought they were vampires at first too because you uh have the mr wilkins as the vampire mm-hmm. uh, following her and then you see him attacked he falls into the the circle mm-hmm. and she a little red riding hood comes out of the middle of the woods and she's uh, uh she's like oh i didn't know it happened uh <laughs> and because he was a vampire i was thinking he was gonna get what he was trying to impose on other people mm-hmm. uh and then then it switched uh quickly switched to to witches because i was like oh they're all around a campfire mm-hmm. in a circle um and then like you said then they start pulling off their skin and i'm like oh okay they're clearly werewolves. <laughs> and what's great about that scene is that most of the uh, werewolf effects in that scene are are practical. Like it's not all CGI. I think there are a couple moments of CGI, but most of it are is, is, is practical werewolf effects. You know, it's all there on set, which you don't see very often nowadays from, from horror films. Most of it's all CGI. Mm. It all looks super fake, but they actually had like real like werewolf props. And it just, I don't know, it feels like a old school movie making. Yeah. I only because I'm not really up to date on like te- movie technology, but of movies of that time, especially within horror films, was there a lot of CGI going on that would be input into the movie or was there still more prominently, uh, predominantly uh, practical effects? Back in 2007, the, for horror films, there was a lot of CGI, uh, but not good, not good CGI, you know, because it was still very very Mm. you know like it's still pretty early technology so you go back and you watch a lot of like the horror films from 2007 and they don't look good they don't hold up because a lot of the effects are cgi and it's old cgi and it just doesn't look right so that's what i love about this movie is that they instead of using a lot of cgi they use practical effects and it looks great it looks really really nice if you watch it now and i like that old school movie making and i think that's what's another great thing about the score is that you do have an orchestra a lot of movies at that time were not uh very mm-hmm. orchestra heavy you know you just you just had a bunch of like jump scares and that's it very generic kind of sounding scores that were nothing special but this whole movie feels just very old school very familiar I think that's what adds the nostalgic quality about it. Yeah, it definitely felt very nostalgic. It felt it felt much older than it actually was. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I agree. I think the practical effects made it feel a little bit cleaner um, than if you were to add CGI on top of it. Uh, but uh, I'm CGI now is a whole lot <laughs> cleaner than it used to be. Um, and I think that... Uh, it does. It, it, it made it feel the the whole thing felt much older than it was, mm-hmm. and uh, even even the whole like comic book th- 
thing that you have at the very beginning and the very end where this was almost like you're diving into a, a comic book, which do you happen to know why that was the, the, the aesthetic that they were trying to go for? Uh, yeah. Uh, so one of the, I think the big ideas about doing this in an anthology format is that it's very much a throwback to the old EC comics, which were from the 50s. So you had Tales from the Crypt. You had Vault of Horror. Uh, I think what's most known is Tales from the Crypt, which, you know, there's that old 90s TV show, Tales from the Crypt, iconic. And I think this is very much a throwback to those stories. The stories feel very much like a Tales from the Crypt story because Tales from the Crypt was always about people doing things and then they get their comeuppance at the end. So I think they went for that whole like, kind of comic book angle as a nod to those old EC comics. Interesting. Yeah, that, that makes a whole lot of sense. I, I remember Tales from the Crypt uh, from a long time ago. And so now that, I, now that I know, that makes a whole lot more sense. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic show, Tales from the Crypt. It holds up very, very well, actually. I recommend going back to it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, well... Thank you so much for this incredible conversation. Is there anything about the score or the film that we haven't talked about yet that you really want to talk about? I think we covered it. I, I just, I, I think it's a great film and I hear people talk about it all the time. Like every, a lot of people, especially people who love Halloween and who love horror films, this is a classic. Like this is a modern day classic. People go back to this, watch it every year, but I don't hear as many people talking about the score. And I just, I think it's an underrated score. I think the score contributes a whole lot to the movie as a whole. And I, I don't know, I wanted, I wanted to talk a little bit more about it. That's why when I was talking about, oh, maybe we should talk about The Haunting of Hill House on Netflix. I was like, you know what? No, trick or treat. <laughs> it's my favorite. It's very important to me. I listen to that thing all year round, even when it's not Halloween. So we got to talk about that. <laughs> Well, where can people find you and where can they purchase your, your book? Uh, Autumn Crow is available on Amazon. I believe it's also available on Barnes and Noble. Not completely sure about that. Um, but you can definitely get it on Amazon. The paperback's only $9.99. The, uh, the ebook is available on Kindle Unlimited for free. So if you have Kindle Unlimited, you can go and download it right now for free. You can find me on YouTube at Cameron Chaney, Library Macabre. Uh, you can subscribe to me there and I post videos every week. I'm also on social media as book movie guy, pretty simple, or you can just search me as Cameron Chaney. I'll probably come up on there as well. I am taking a break from social media for a little bit, but I should be coming back within the next couple of weeks. Great. Well, if you are looking to, to follow uh, Cameron, or if you're looking to purchase his book or follow Library Macabre, I have all the links in the show notes so you can go and do that. Um, but thank you so much, Cameron, for joining me today. It was fantastic to talk to you, and I'm glad we had a chance to talk about this film and the score. Oh, thank you so much. It was, it was a good time. This episode of The Composer Chronicles was edited by me, Stephen Trigar, with theme music written by Daryl Banner. Find Cameron on social media and check out Library Macabre on YouTube. You can also purchase his book, Autumn Crow, on Amazon. If you've enjoyed this episode, leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, or wherever you can leave a rating and a review. Join our community of music lovers on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Cron Podcast. 
Here you can engage with our incredible community of music professionals and enthusiasts while staying up to date on news pertaining to our past guests. For more information about this podcast and to learn more about the composers, music professionals, and other featured guests on the show, visit alexandriamedia.org slash The Composer Chronicles. Next week is another episode in our Halloween-themed month. You'll just have to find out what that topic is next week. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next time. Alexandrian Media, Art and Culture for the Modern Era. Thank you.